2: from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The Chiefs' kingdom has started
1: its own history class because for the first time in 6,944 days, there is a
2: back-to-back Super Bowl champion, and it is... The Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs. It probably sounded better in his head than it did actually (laughs) uh, through the microphone.
3: It's very, it's tough. It's tough. You can get into the try working too hard category really fast as an announcer. The Chiefs' kingdom has started a new history class, and then some random factoid nobody would ever use. (laughs)
2: That guy must have been studying the feet of Tony Romo, the absolute king of rambling, pseudo-profound nonsense. Oi! Oh, I didn't see the meme of Travis Kelsey screaming
3: in Andy Reid's face and the caption being, You're a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Yep. (laughs)
2: Isn't that funny?
3: That is hilarious. (laughs) Oh, God, that's funny. I like this from the New York Post. NFL-rigged conspiracy theorists have everything they need after a wild Super Bowl finish. The game had to be rigged by the NFL <laughs> to get Taylor Swift to endorse Biden. I still don't quite understand the end of that, but I feel like that whole thing is just exactly like the Flat Earth thing. It's just fun, right? It's like the birds are spies, I think. Uh, depends who you ask. Well, I think with both those conspiracies I mentioned, there are crackpots who are into it, but its it's it's energy comes from people who just think it's funny or fun. You could be right. Yeah,
2: I certainly hope so, yeah.
1: I hope so, too. God, I hope so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, Taylor Swift is a psyops operator, Hank. I wonder how much
3: overlap there is. Do we have a fair number of people who think the Earth is flat, all birds are government drones, and Taylor Swift and the NFL are in league together? Seems like there would be
2: overlap there. Um, you want to hear a funny Taylor Swift joke? Absolutely. This is uh, from uh, my good old friend, uh, Mike the Lawyer. He was at a Super Bowl party, and one clever dude there said uh, if Kansas City loses, <laughs> Taylor's breakup song for title for Travis would be Fourth and Never, Ever, Ever, Ever.
3: That's pretty good.
2: That is pretty good. <laughs> yep. Fourth and Never. That fourth is good. Fourth and Never, Ever, Ever. <laughs>
3: God, that was tense. So many third downs that you had to convert on both sides.
2: Oof, it was killing me. All right, moving along, moving along. The game is over. It's best to move beyond it. Stupid
3: 49ers. 49ers fan not wanting to hear about the third down. Boo! How about the young guy who looks like he's 16 years old, the quarterback, Purdy? Uh, Happy with his performance? like You can't blame anything on him.
2: Pretty mediocre, if you ask me. Really? Wow, I thought thought it was pretty impressive. You suck. You suck. (laughs) uh, Hey, the the truth of sports, and uh, virtually every sport, is really good defense makes good offense look incompetent. And the uh, Niners spun their wheels. They had uh, a lot of trouble getting going.
3: Boy, I just saw a highlight, and then I'll move on to something else. Um... Although they dominated the first half, oh God, the, the did they Chiefs dominate! Had, it. Do
2: not let the Chiefs hang around. You gotta stomp them. When you gotta, you gotta them down, you gotta stomp them like Travis Kelsey wanted to stomp old Andy Reid. I wasn't paying
3: attention to the score, but late in the first half, I, I felt like the, the 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 Chiefs were behind twenty eight to nothing. That's what it felt like, mm. and it was three nothing at the time. Um, uh, one football note is toward the end of regulation. Here is something I do not want to do in my life. Try to. Tackle Travis Kelsey when he's got a full head of steam. Oh. That guy that ended up laying on his back and being carted off the field. Good God. If he puts down his
2: shoulder at a full speed, you're going to be in bad shape. Holy oh, yeah. crap. Can you imagine as like a normal human being, oh. a guy who works in a cubicle? <laughs> oh. oh, that would hurt. Oh, I'd say. <laughs> well, that wasn't as bad an injury as the guy who crippled himself walking out to the field. Trey Greenlaw, good Lord, would have lost for the Niners. But that's enough. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Just
3: from an injury standpoint, not a sports standpoint, what's worth thinking about there is, apparently that can happen to anybody. I mean, because mm-hmm. these guys are as in shape as you can flipping get. And I don't know what his age is, but it's probably 30s, 20s. He's young. He's, he's, he works out every day. He eats right, and he took a wrong step and ended up with an injury where he's going to be, you know, on crutches. So it can mm-hmm. happen to anybody. Remember that if you ever do that, so you don't oh, just yeah. feel like there's something wrong with you. I mean, like, what did he do? He just took a step onto the field and, ah, my
2: hamstring or whatever the hell went out. Yeah, my, I do, close relative of mine, good shape, active, uh, stepped off curb, curb, blew out her ACL.
3: Oh, but I'll remember that forever. Whenever I do that, some pro athletes can do this too, so it's. Sure they can (laughs) God that had to be disappointing for him God what are you trying to tell me God I've been working my whole life For this moment
2: and you give me You basically like strike me with a lightning bolt Injury It had to be incomprehensible For the young man
3: Yeah they said he was emotionally just devastated On the sidelines you would be It's bad enough to get a football play injury And get knocked out of the biggest game of your life To just take a step on the field and go crumpling to the ground?
2: Oof, that's a Ugh, rough one. Just bizarre. Bizarre.
3: Mm. Um, Do I want to do this here or take a break? I think I'll tease it, and then we'll take a break. I, I took in a fair amount of information over the weekend on the whole Joe Biden's lost his marbles story, uh, which continued for a good 72 hours after the report came out, and it will continue clear up till Election Day, no doubt about it. Kamala Harris said something on Friday afternoon. The Sunday talk shows talked about it a lot. And the New York times had an interesting piece, but uh, the, 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 the behind the scenes on that five hour interview, the now famous five hour interview that Joe Biden gave where he couldn't remember the date of the death of his son and all that different sort of stuff. New York times broke down some of the details, how accurate they are. They are, who knows, but, um, pretty interesting. And, uh, the way some of the democrats have come to his defense with, are you kidding me i can't keep up with the guy are you going to stick with that you're going to that's gonna,
2: ridiculous
3: who who is that for who's buying that i don't know I, I guess you just feel like i guess it's just being loyal i guess at some point
2: or are you just, you're just you trying to stop the bleeding. You're trying to stop that perception from spreading any further.
3: Good luck with that. There was poll numbers came out yesterday. It's over 80% of Americans, over 80% Americans, think he is not mentally fit to be president. So good luck turning that around.
2: Don't mess with the men in America unless you want to get the benefit. That's not like do you approve of his economic policies? Right. You don't think he's mentally fit? Right. That's
3: now that's a poll question. Well, that bad, it care. I hear you. But well, we'll hear from Kamala and the behind the scenes of that interview. It's kind of interesting. There's a bunch of other stuff on the way. Stay here.
4: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: In a new Ipsos poll, 86% of Americans think Biden is too old to serve another term as president. That figure includes 59% of Americans who think both he and Donald Trump are too old.
3: Yeah, well, I don't know what that number is. So you got one guy that was at 86. 86% of Americans think Biden's too old to be president.
2: Damn, I
3: the pressure. damn near 9 out of 10 when we're so polarized that the, you can't come up with hardly an issue where we aren't yeah. mostly 50-50. But on this one, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's too old to be president. And then you throw in 59% think they're both too old. Yeah, well, you just mentioned one guy everybody thinks is
2: too old, so I don't I don't know what that tells me <laughs> in terms of an overall number. <laughs> just goes to show you what a strange pursuit politics is when in the face of a number like that, the Democratic Party responds with, we're running him anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
3: God, I got so much on this. I'll play the Kamala Harris clip here in a second, but the Wall Street Journal editorial board said, this is dangerous politically for Democrats, but also grave risk for the country. The world is as dangerous as it's been since the 1930s. Wow. That's a heck of a thing to say. Yeah, that's their assessment? Yikes. Do you think it has actually? the world is actually as dangerous as it's been since the 30s? I don't think that's out of line. It's not way out of line. If it's wrong, it's not way wrong. But Exactly. Wow, it's, good, that, it's good enough. It took a while for that to sink in for me. Oof. Uh, This would be challenging for a young, vigorous leader. It's perilous for a president who will be 82 years old before a second inauguration and was already showing visible signs of failing memory and lapsed concentration. Well, you might say, well, that's a Wall Street Journal, They're a bunch of Republicans. Uh, The New York Times had their editorial board come out with the challenges of an aging president and how he um, uh, did not... Make anybody feel better about his mental fitness by coming out and doing that press conference. He did just the opposite. According to the New York Times editorial board, his insurances, in other words, didn't work. He must do better. The stakes in this presidential election are too high for Mr. Biden to hope that he can skate through a campaign with the help of teleprompter and aides.
2: So what did they suggest? Did
3: they bottom line it? Um, they didn't say much more about it, but there was a, oh, where was that? Politico. There's some inside talk from Politico. I don't know if I have that in my fingertips. God, and this is hilarious. They were going out with what he needs to do is get out there and interact with the media more, do more press conferences, more off the cuff stuff to to show people that he's ready to handle it. Okay, that would work. If he was capable of handling it, but he's not. You
2: see, that's the crux of the problem. That's delusional. I know. I know that's what thing I thought. To say.
3: Hillary Clinton said over the weekend: wow. Joe Biden's age is a legitimate issue and needs to be looked at. Now it doesn't involve our institutions. Here it is: Jonathan Lemire from polit- uh, 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 tweeted this out, but this is from a Politico article. Democrats want to see Biden engage with the press and voters in off-the-script and punchy exchanges that he's known for which they believe will help him chip away at concerns about the president's mental acuity.
2: Okay, try that. Or is that some sort of weird double reverse where they hope, okay, if we get him out there and expose it over and over again, he'll get out of the way. He'll have to.
3: I don't know. That's like saying, uh, we'd like to see Jack Armstrong sub in for Patrick Mahomes to... To put at rest the beliefs that he's not uh NFL quarterback quality athlete. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, yeah. We're calling for Joe Montana to return to the game more appropriately and show that feisty back and forth that he's known for. Was known for, you yeah. delusional ding dong. What an odd he's gotta engage more. Yeah, go ahead. Good luck.
3: Let me go through some of the reporting on the five hour in, oh, I want to play Kamala Harris first. Uh So this is Kamala Harris on Friday, and she was coming to the defense of her boss.
2: So the way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated. And so I will say that when it comes to the role and responsibility of a prosecutor in a situation like that, we should expect that there would be a higher level of integrity than what we saw. Thank you. Thank you for you the know, question.
3: I, I guess as I think about it, you could make the argument that it was politically motivated and gratuitous. And I've heard some legal minds say it was. The problem is that doesn't mean it's not true. And almost nine out of ten Americans believe it's true. Whether it should have been in that report or not doesn't make much difference. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's a tough yeah, situation. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I'm struck by the fact that Kamala Harris sounded coherent there. That's odd. Uh, yeah, it, it, or, or that sort of statement reminds me of the, the bad faith argument you make in a dysfunctional relationship. You're you're drunk and you embarrassed us again last night. Yeah, well, you can't cook. I mean, <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> New York Times had a behind the scenes of the five hour interview that got him in this trouble in the first place. So Biden has classified documents. They uh, want to interview him for five hours about that, where'd you get him, why'd you have him, who put him there, all that sort of stuff. The interview happens to fall v- the day after the uh, attack on Israel, when he's on the phone all night long with world leaders and doing all this stuff. I mean, that just seems like bad timing. They should have pulled the plug on that, hit the eject, eject button. They, they considered it, but thought that would look bad and decided not to. Well, that, that might have been the mistake that doomed his second term. I'll read a little bit from the New York Times piece. In some cases, her, that's the guy who wrote the report and was doing the question, her or his assistants would ask Biden to confirm that the handwriting on certain documents was his own, including on a folder that contained Afghanistan. Uh, A misspelling that prosecutors later said repeatedly showed up in Biden's writing dating back to the 80s. This doesn't matter much, but he spelled Afghanistan uh, A-F-G-A-N-A-S-T-A-N with no H in there. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, and had been doing that going back to the eighties as a guy who was the chair of the foreign relations committee when he was a Senator and, and his mind did work. And has visited the country like twenty times. It just, I just thought that was odd. <laughs> that is odd. I don't think that's, that's probably important. not
2: worth dwelling on. No, but. I just thought it was odd. Oh, and right. I do.
3: And and if even if Trump did the same thing, if he spelled Afghanistan laughably wrong, that would have been proof that he's a moron. But anyway, um, after several hours of questioning on October eighth, the next day. The two sides came to a stopping point and finished for a day. Later that afternoon, a live band could be heard from outside the White House as the President and First Lady Jill Biden hosted a barbecue for staffers of the executive residents and their families. I thought that was an interesting note. So in the midst of, you I mean, you're, you're hours after uh, the biggest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, you're dealing with trying to stop World War Three. You do this Interview that your presidency might hang on for hours, then go to a big barbecue for staff members. It's just what a
2: a head-spinning life that would be if you were 40, let alone 80. I remember how uh, distasteful that party on the White House lawn looked, given the horrible bloodshed one of our allies. But... uh, um, one inquiry that
3: afternoon involved a memo that Biden had sent to Obama in 2009 about Afghanistan, a document that Biden took from the White House and was later found in his garage, sitting in a damaged cardboard box near a dog a dog crate, a broken duct-taped lamp, and synthetic firewood. Again, the highlight of this thing was, I'm not the only one whose garage looks like this. You would, you would think a guy like him, with all the help he has and all his money, would have a more organized garage than
2: that, but he does not. Biden that had a tape co- repaired lamp. Come Biden on, had a
3: and cop- a broken down dog crate that you're never going to use. Um, Biden had a copy of the memo. The special counsel later said because he viewed it as a key piece of evidence showing that he was right to argue within the Obama administration for a drawdown of troops in Afghanistan, a recommendation Obama nonetheless rejected. Biden told her that he had stayed up late on Thanksgiving writing by hand the only memo that he ever sent solely to Obama and no one else in the government hers report said i was trying to change the president's mind i wanted to let him know blah 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 so he hung on to that memo he initially told her that he was not aware he had kept the memo after his vice presidency ended in january 2017 asked a follow-up question he responded i guess i wanted to hang on to it for posterity's sake i mean this was my position in afghanistan and it later became discussed he has been around government so long he has a better idea than practically anybody of what is classified and what is not classified and what you can just, you know, throw in a drawer and keep. And he ignored it
2: for whatever reason. Uh, just very briefly, I agree that his staff served him ill by scheduling that the next day and not canceling it, but uh, it just confirmed what people have observed over and over again. It's not like that's the cause of people doubting his mental abilities. Right.
1: Armstrong and Getty.
4: The Armstrong and Getty Show
0: That's nice right It's the real deal 100% Electric
2: It's the real deal Yeah Thank you of course, enjoy your coffee. Mm.
0: Careful, it's hot. Ooh, nice. Your dog's so cute. Mm. Yeah. You know,
3: you look nice. Okay. Hello, Mr. Walken. Because does this table work for you? Yeah. There's only one Christopher Walken and only one ultimate driving machine. The rest are just imitations. Uh, come on. That's a pretty good spot right there. That's cute. Yeah, making the point that other things are imitations from people doing their best Christopher Walker imita- walking imitation. Where did that rank on the... the By all my sentences. Where oh, did that... Joe,
2: R- I'm working with Joe Biden here.
3: Where, I'm hung over with uh, dip <laughs> and chocolate. <laughs> Ate too many s'mores this weekend. Oof. Anytime I barbecue, because I use uh, briquettes... I just feel like I can't let that moment go if we got hot briquettes out there and we got the makings for a s'more. Doesn't mean I have to eat them. I have children. Right. I've also learned that one s'more is good, two makes you want to vomit. Mm. Anyway, where did that ad rank on the ad meter and what was the number one ad? Uh, We'll have that. We'll tell you that coming up in a little bit. It
2: was pretty amusing, actually. I'm kind of torn for, uh, you know, part of my life I went to Super Bowl parties, but I couldn't hear the ads, and, you know, I couldn't hear the, the play-by-play very well, and so I started just watching it at home so we could talk about it the next day. Then I thought, that's too lonely and sad. I'm going to start going to parties again, and now I'm back to I can't hear the ads, and if Brock Purdy is just uh, thrown six complete incompletions, I have no idea because I can't really hear it very well. So I don't know what's, what's better. Did
3: you know what that was the anniversary of? Twenty years ago, today, yesterday. Ah, uh, no, the horror that was Janet Jackson's nipple. Oh, see, I missed that completely. It was the twenty-year anniversary of that?
2: And, and here I was with my guard down. If somebody had unleashed another nipple, it would have been devastating.
3: And ha- and uh, I read a good article about that. It talked about how it changed media forever. It did us. We we had zero delay up until then and now we have like what a 20 second delay we could go on such a tirade <laughs> and hit the and hit the delay button but uh it's still not known if that was an accident on purpose what happened
2: there it's still not known my my right up there with the loch ness monster <sighs> among man's mysteries i know i'm still <laughs> i'm still seeing a therapist about it it's just i i'm not over it Uh, You know, I'm tempted to go off on a rant about that, but I'm not going to. I have interesting and useful information about the world of work. Uh, Sort of, kind of. Uh, I love this headline. Uh, Well, I don't love the headline. Uh, I like some of the editorial in it. Uh, AI is starting to threaten white-collar jobs. And very few industries are going to be immune.
3: Oh, boy. God dang it. We, We are so whistling past the graveyard on so many different fronts. With our presidential candidates, with the fact that, you know, that thing of the Wall Street Journal, the world's more unsettled than it's been since the 30s. Nobody's acting like it.
2: Yeah, and the part of the editorial I referred to that amused me a little bit was various experts saying, well, I wouldn't worry a great deal about this. Uh, but the, the entire gist of the article is it started and the numbers aren't huge, but they're gonna be. And it's not going to take terribly long. And they, uh, they name check a couple of companies that have laid off a few thousand white-collar jobs. But company executives and management consultants are signaling that generative AI could soon upend a much bigger share Unlike previous waves of automation technology, generative AI doesn't just speed up routine tasks or make predictions by recognizing data pattern. It has the power to create content and synthesize ideas. In essence, the kind of knowledge work millions of people now do behind computers.
3: I wonder what the political difference will be because, why? Uh, I think throughout human history, every technological in- innovation has always taken away lower-rung jobs or, uh, you know, um, uh, manual labor. That's sort of
2: right. thing.
3: And you could make uh, an you, argument yeah. that that's, you know, better for humanity going forward. I mean, do we want to keep digging holes by hand? Or do we want to have a machine that can dig a hole, etc.? Uh, also, the political power of people who are, you know, not getting paid much for their jobs. When it starts affecting people who make more money or more politically active, and it's not you know, you can't make the argument that the world is better not having to dig a hole by hand. You can't, that when it comes to sure. uh, crafting an insurance policy.
2: Yeah, yeah. What's interesting about this, uh, in the same way that some of the previous examples of uh, automation were, is that it eliminates a surefire road to at least a, a decent level of economic success in a way that's going to be politically really, really significant. Um, And instead of, as you indicated, instead of, you know, literally ditch diggers with their political influence, um, it's going to be mid and upper level professionals who are suddenly, uh, not only can they not follow the road, the road is gone. To that sort of success, Oof. UPS said it would cut 12,000 jobs recently, primarily those of management staff and some contract workers, and that those positions weren't likely to return even when the package shipping business picks up again. Companies ramped up its use of machine learning in processes. Blah blah blah. Um, just it's it's something to be aware of. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, if you're a white collar professional in you know accounting or the law or or management or, or something, I just I guess. <sighs> I would say as guys in a rapidly changing field uh, ourselves, I would be aware of those changes and be up on them and figure out who is surviving them. I mean, that's the best advice, I think, that's out there for what it's worth. Which
3: We're not to read the article over the weekend about how it's affecting the news industry, and this is going to make previous disruptions seem like nothing. To newspapers, news outlets, that sort of thing is, um, uh, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but you can you can take a news story and rewrite it and it, and call it your own. Um, but if AI can do that, basically for free and then use that at whatever outlet they're using what is that going to do to the financial structure of the New York Times the Washington Post the Wall Street Journal the big networks that are, that are actually you know still doing journalism and writing those stories mm-hmm. how many clicks are they going to lose how much money are they going to lose and then what will be their model for going forward for even you know providing the original content that somebody else then a computer then rewrites and puts out somebody and they get no clicks off of it
2: Right, and undercuts their subscription price or whatever. You can easily imagine right. how that would yeah, go. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, another quick uh, note from the world of economics. Scott Linsicom, who is an absolutely fabulous writer. He's into economics and, and business and that sort of thing. I think he writes for National Review, among other things. but um A CBO report came out that said, quote, the surge in immigration will help bolster the U.S. economy by about $7 trillion over the next decade by swelling the labor force and increasing demand, the Congressional Budget Office says. There are zillions of dollars being made by various people because there are millions of people flowing across the border. It's worth remembering. I hate to be so horrifically uh, cliched as to say follow the money, but, well, follow the money. The CBO projects that the increase in immigration will lift the growth of inflation-adjusted domestic product to an average of blah, 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 leaving roughly 2% larger in twenty. 20- 34 than it otherwise would be. In its report, the CBO raised its estimates of the labor force in 2033 by 5.2 million people, mostly because of higher net inflows from outside the country. And the expanded workforce will put downward pressure on average inflation adjusted wages, according to the agency, which is something everybody who knows a penny's worth of economics understands. Cesar Chavez understood it. He was against illegal immigration even as he was organizing farm workers because he knew it's so obvious if you flood a market with a product including humans the price of that product will drop
3: yeah i'm not a fan of only looking at illegal, at illegal immigration as to uh, you know how it helps overall big business etc anyway uh, oh, of course not. Uh, yeah. You know, if your town changes overnight into something different and your schools don't work and your hospital doesn't work, you know, you don't care.
2: Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ruination of my community. So whatever conglomerate can make a few more bucks. No, no, thank you. And then finally, this Katie made reference to this. And I think everybody saw the headline and found it shocking. Construction industry grapples with its top killer drug overdose. And they go into some detail in the New York Times that um, uh, if you're going to lose a construction worker as a construction company, it's it's to a drug overdose. Construction workers already had the highest on-the-job death toll of any industry. Now they're more likely to die of overdose than those in any other line of work, according to the CDC. Wow, so you're not
3: going to get backed over by a uh, road grader. You're going to go home on a Friday night and do some fentanyl and die.
2: Well, depending on which order those things happen in, it might actually be both, or one guy's the one and one guy's the other. It's not like deaths from fentanyl of uh, lower death, or what did you say, road grader squashings? Uh, The disparity stems in part from addictive medication workers are prescribed to manage pain from injuries, which are common because of the physical nature of the work. It's an issue that the industry has struggled to get a handle on for more than a decade. Wow. More injuries... More hardcore painkillers end more addiction and overdose. Mm. Let's see. A couple of numbers. Uh, the report, the agency's most comprehensive examination of overdose deaths by occupation, found that there were more than 162 overdose deaths per 100,000 construction workers in 2020. The food service industry had about 118 deaths from the same number of workers. That was the second highest rate. In the same year, the number of overall deaths on the job in construction was about 10 workers in 100,000, suggesting that workers were roughly 16 times as likely to die of an overdose as they were from a work-related injury. Holy cow.
3: Wow, that's interesting. Another work-related thing that I haven't looked into, I saw this headline in the USA Today, killing the 401k. It has become a debate. I didn't know this. A growing fraction of economists want to end the tax-favored plan 401k. And I haven't read the why on that. Do you know anything about that?
2: I, I don't, although I suspect very strongly it is the sort who doesn't want anybody to be able to save, quote-unquote, excess savings. They want a more even playing field, a more socialist playing field where everybody's dependent on, on the government.
3: Or they just want more tax money
2: immediately. Right, know. yeah, exactly. Anything that defers taxes, they're against.
3: Right. Um, I was just thinking, uh, I saw some Super Bowl ads up there, and we teased we'll have uh, what was the number one Super Bowl ad, according to AdMeter coming up. If AI created a Super Bowl ad, they would probably look at all the most successful Super Bowl ads over previous decades, and your ad would have a celebrity, a Clydesdale horse,
2: mm-hmm. cute animal of some sort, obviously. Puppy riding a Clydesdale to Tom Brady's house.
3: Probably be a hot chicken in it at some point, and a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know if Pizza What Uh, caught on like they were hoping to yesterday. The Pizza Hut commercials. Pizza What?
2: Yeah, like I said, I was at a party. I couldn't hear them very well.
3: They were trying to get that going,
2: but I'm not sure
3: uh, sure everybody's saying that at work today. To be funny. Pizza What? (laughs) (laughs) It's so what they did with their pizza is so extraordinary. You now say Pizza What? When you eat. I do? Yeah, okay. you do. Maybe you do. All right. What was the number one ad? I actually did think it was funny, among other things, on the way.
4: Armstrong and Getty.
2: She's will throw it on third and one. Mahomes is going to run at 30-yard line. 25-20! Mahomes inside the 15 and down to the 13-yard line!
3: Yeah, he's ridiculous. Um, welcome. How you doing? Uh, hope you're not hungover. I was hung up for many a Monday after a Super Bowl. I've had some of my more epic drunk, drunks on uh, Super Bowls throughout my life.
2: As yesterday was both Super Bowl Sunday, my favorite team was playing, and it was my birthday, I was on high keep-it-cool alert mm. on myself. I was keeping an eye on me. I wasn't going to let me get away with any hijinks.
3: There was a long period there where the Super Bowl sucked. It was weird. I wonder How did that happen? Was there something different about the sport? It was like a dozen-year period where every game was a blowout and it wasn't even the least bit interesting. Now, they almost all come down to the final drive, which is awesome. And, I mean, that was as exciting a game as you're ever going to get last night. Uh, but back in the day, people got more into the ads because the games were so boring, and uh, so they still pay attention to rating what was the best ad. And, and because you have so my, so many eyeballs on you, these companies spend gazillions of dollars trying to come up with the most creative ads that they can. I'm often amazed that I remember the ad and like the punchline and stuff like that, but don't have the slightest idea what the product was, which I'm not sure does you any good. Uh, I'm not sure there's does an any echo good.
2: chamber for the Super Bowl ads now, though, like us talking about it. it certainly that- is.
3: Anyway, uh this one featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito was, according to the ad meter, the number one ad yesterday. Let's listen to it.
4: Thank you, Agent State Farm.
3: Like a good neighbor. State Farm is there.
2: Cut. Hey, Arnold, I'm hearing neighbor, it's neighbor.
0: That's what I said, neighbor. 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 Let's go again. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Cut. Now what? Neighbor. Yeah, neighbor, just like it's written on the paper. Neighbor. Still no. Neighbor. Bar. Bar. Got a bit
4: of a script change. You'll love this. Thank you, Agent State Farm.
3: Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You are a backstabber. I am a backstabber. (laughs) You are a backstabber. He says to Danny DeVito, his co-star from Twins. (laughs) Yes. But the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent finally gets mocked to him after all these years of being a giant movie star is... I find funny
1: do you like that huh <laughs> uh,
3: that's what I said Neba. how did have you ever read about that how he did did, did, did did that test well at some point they decided do not lose the
2: accent because all kinds of people have relearned how to say words I thought I heard that from you that he had made the decision to stick with the accent maybe because it was huh? his trademark
3: I can hide my own Easter egg so I may know all about this and have forgotten it I don't know But, uh, I mean, clearly he could sit down with a voice coach and learn to say neighbor if he wanted to. Oh, yeah. But he never did. Yeah, And he made gazillions of dollars and uh, and humped maids. I'm sorry. There's no reason to throw that in. Wow, that was distasteful. It was distasteful on, on like, ten different levels. What's the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, um, so it was 20 years ago, the 20 years ago Super Bowl, where Janet Jackson's nipple showed up with what they called a wardrobe malfunction— And it says here in the New York Times, what Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction says about America 20 years later. Nipplegate forced Americans to reckon with their idea of indecency and inadvertently changed the way we consume media forever.
2: I think you're making a bigger deal out of it than is necessary. I don't want to sit next to you on a long bus ride, okay? but but uh, Tiresome, man. Two
3: interesting things about this article that I did for some reason read. Like I said, we still do not know what happened there or if it was on purpose or was an accident. And even all these years later, that Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake have not said. They didn't respond to the New York Times for this interview. So anyway, uh, one of the reasons it went so big was TiVo was a new thing or having devices where you could zap back. If it had happened like three years earlier. It would have gone by so fast nobody would even have known it. Uh, because of that, people could zap back. And this I didn't know. Everybody wanted to see it again and couldn't. And a couple of tech geniuses in the Bay Area of San Francisco thought it's crazy that there's no place to upload a video where we can all watch it. And started YouTube because oh. of that video it was the first thing that they put on there. And uh, and thought that there should be a like a, a a warehouse where we can all go and see a video we all want to see again. That's where YouTube came from. The nipple herd round the world. Now that did change things. I'm sure somebody would have thought of YouTube anyway. Maybe or maybe not. I don't know.
4: Armstrong and Getty.